Good evening, everyone. Am I on all right? Everyone hear me okay? Yes. Praise God. Good to see us this evening. It was cold this morning, wasn't it? You know how you know it was cold this morning? Half the ones who are here this morning aren't here tonight. (laughs) And they've said, you know what? They've sort of thought maybe, it's a wee bit cold tonight. Maybe we'd be better watching online. Cut that live feed there for a moment, please. No, do not. I'm only joking. Don't do that. (laughs) Praise God. Um, Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis? Book of Genesis, please. Chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, And slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Keep your Bible open there, please. We'll be referring to it. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for your Spirit who is in us and with us as your children. We thank you tonight, Lord, that you're here. Lord, you instruct us to teach us and the way which we should go and to guide us with your eye through your word. We pray, O God, that you would speak to every heart, every man, every woman, every person, young and old this evening, that Christ would be exalted and that Christ would be lifted up and that he alone would be seen and he alone be glorified, for there's none worthy but him. So, Father, we pray that you would settle our hearts and our minds Lord, that you would take into captivity every opposing spirit or distracting thought. And, O God, that you would bring all things in to my remembrance, to the glory of your Son. Bless us, we pray tonight, and move in the midst of your people. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake and for his glory alone. Amen. The title of this evening is, it's a strange title, and uh, we'll come across it, God willing, in a few moments. It's from the Nimrod of the earth, God deliver the world. From the Nimrod of the earth, God deliver the world. In verse 1 of our reading this evening, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now you may say, what on earth has this got to do with anything in the year 2022. You might say, what has it got to do with what has happened this week? For there's been much has happened over the last while. But over this last week, there's been a lot that has happened. And most people have been oblivious or blind to it. And that which has happened. We're going to look at some of it this evening. But what has this old antiquated story got to do with tonight? Well, Nimrod... He starts to build Babel. Babel is the Hebrew word of the Greek name of Babylon. So Nimrod is the founder, if you want, of Babylon. 
Babylon is the enemy of God's people. One of the enemies, anyhow, but the main enemy right through the scripture. And Babylon is found at the very last book of your Bible in Genesis chapter 16, 17, and 18. And we are told of the collapse of Babylon in those chapters. So right through to the coming of Christ, there's a Babylonian system. There's a Babylonian city in, in, in the book of Revelation. And it's in three parts. It is ecclesiastical. The Bible says it's cut into three parts. Uh, Revelation 16, if my memory serves me right. There's Babylonian, Babylon ecclesiastical, one world religion. Babylonian political. And we are seeing that in the politics of, the, of Europe it starts with, and then it goes into greater politics today. It goes right into world politics today. And so you have Babylon political, and then you have Babylon financial, the building, the, 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 the Bilderbergers and the Rothschilds and all of the financial system in the world today. And they're changing. All of these are starting to be changed into what the Babylonian system wants them to become. For example, they're looking to change the financial system. The financial system will be where they want us to take on a digital system with a digital ID, where they'll tell you that will link into their ecological uh, system, where if you've burned too much uh, petrol or electric even, or diesel or whatever, probably all be done away with, and then it'll be electrical, then you'll not be able to buy anything. If you've had your quota of your carbon footprint, then they will stop you from buying even your food, even meat. You've had enough meat. If you eat too much meat, then that's too much carbon. And the farmers will be losing their farms and so forth. And they're already buying up farmland and taking it away from farms in Holland and the United States of America and so on. This is what they're looking to do. And so the financial system will come behind it. The one world religion system is already happening. It's been happening through ecumenical movements of, of the Church of Rome right through. And now it's actually happening in, uh, in the Middle East where they have uh, the Abrahamic family house of worship where you have uh, Christianity so-called, uh, the mixture of all Christianity under the head of the Pope. Then you have uh, Islam under the imams there. And you have Judaism, all to worship ecumenically together. The system has been built, the houses have been built this year. This year in the Middle East. So we have all of these systems and then we're seeing them coming in to a greater, uh, a greater force where they're now starting with tyranny that we have come through and the, 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 the making and the breaking of certain laws and the lies and the, the things that are behind all the stuff that's been happening in our nation and in the nations of the world. This is only the, the, if you want, the beginning of the outpouring to the culmination of greater things. It isn't over yet, brothers and sisters. I keep telling you that. And so this week was another big step forward in their eyes, in their plan, with their purpose. But Nimrod is the founder of this Babylonian system, three-tiered earth. It's called a city, but it becomes worldwide. And in verse 1 of chapter of Genesis chapter 11, it says, The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Notice the people all together, and then they think wrong. Their, their mind goes away from God and the things of God. But notice the whole earth. Now, the word earth here needs looked at for in this context, on this time of Genesis 11, the word earth here is the word Eretz. It can be a parcel of ground, can be the Eretz. If I lifted up uh, and brought a bucket of soil with you for you and put it out, it can be called the Eretz, part of the earth. It can be called the whole earth as the Eretz as well. So it's depending on the context in which the word earth is written in. Here it is that known earth where Babylonian system would be, where the whole of, of uh, Iraq and Iran and Persia, all of, that, all of that area, they gathered together here. Remember, these are early days after the flood, and hence they gathered together. They were of one language and of one speech. One uh, Hebrew commentator said this, a translation which would be almost exact would be like this. They were all of one lip and of one set of words. They were all of one lip and of one set of words. 
In other words, what, what this means is that they all towed the party line. They came, they met together, and they all towed the party line. So they are brought together. They get their minds together. The idea also comes into, that they all come into one way of thinking. They all speak out of the one mouth. And they speak with one set of lips. No matter where they are, they're all with one mindset and one way of thinking. So we see here, there's one lip and one set of words. And this brings us to the one mind of pride and resolve. It's one mindset with one agenda. It was after the flood, remember. This was after the flood. And there was one start, one little start of the Babylonian movement, the Babylonian mystery religion, the economical system. And this was the very start of it. And if you want, after the flood, listen, a catastrophe had happened. After the flood became or came the great reset. After the flood came the great reset. And hence here they are putting out, as it were, gathering together to organize to the great reset. How to get all together and under their control and under their order. This became an embryonic form of a new world order and a one world government under Nimrod. In verses in verses uh, verse 2 and 3, it says, And there came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found the plain in the line of, land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Notice, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Now this is important. I want you to get this. They, had, they burned thoroughly the brick to harden them. And then they had slime for mortar. What was the slime they used for mortar? And you might say, why does it matter? Because it shows their mindset. It shows their mindset. That which they had planned to build, that which they had planned to do, that which they had planned to use, showed their mindset. The slime they used for mortar uh, wasn't what we would know as cement or even mud or anything like that. It's, it's a word called chemar. And the chemar came from slime pits of ash salt. Ash salt, or if you want, bitumen. And they put the bitumen and the ash salt not only between the bricks, but they put it upon many of the bricks. You might say, well, why is it important that we look at that? Because it shows their mindset, and here's their mindset. Remember, it's after the flood. It's only, what, one, two, three generations died from the flood. And their mindset is, God won't flood us out. We will make our homes. We will build our own system. We will build our own kingdom, our own one world government. And God won't flood us out. We will make it waterproof against him. So they put the the bitumen in every building. Now they have done excavations and they have found bitumen in between many of the stones and the bricks that were actually built around that time in this area. That's their mindset is everything against God to build our own kingdom. Everything against the word of God and the will of God against God and for our own kingdom. Waterproofing against the flood. Notice here, Henry Morris, an old commentator, listen to what he says. Nimrod called a council of the family leaders of the community And after a discussion of the various issues and alternatives, a formal decision was made. Nimrod called them all together. And as he called them all together, then he says, we're going to build a tower to heaven. In other words, we're going to build it high. And we're going to show that we can reach higher heights. And hence, they get them all together with all one mind with all one mindset, to speak all with one lip, with one thought, and with one deed in their hearts. One set of words to leave the place with. And there they were, ready to build the Babylonian kingdom. In verse 4, if you notice with me, notice their pride in this. 
And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now notice what they say. Let us, notice, let us build us. In verse 3 it was, let us make brick. In verse 4 it's, let us build us a city. Let us get us a name or make for ourselves a name. Now the word name, N-A-M-E, is the Hebrew word shame. And the word shame is uh, almost exactly, very, very closely linked to the name Shem. Now if you remember, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Nimrod comes from the accursed line of Ham. The Lord cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Canaan had Cush and Cush, Nimrod, and so on. But Shem and Shem are so closely linked, they almost mean the same thing. Here's what they mean. Shem, or let us make us a name, is the word, it means reputation. Let us build ourselves a reputation. It means glory. Let us show our glory. Not God's glory. Let us show our glory. And it means fame. We want our fame to be in the earth. We want our fame to be shown. Our glory to be known. Our reputation. That's the idea of the name here. We want it for us. Let us make us a name. Now Shem is exactly, well almost exactly the same. And so when God called Shem, that's where we get the name Shemite or Semitic from. And from there we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That God with his reputation, God with his glory, God with his name, For example, when Israel are told, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, we think it is, well, saying the Lord's name with profanity or or saying it with a looseness. And we say, Stop taking the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, And and that's okay. I'm not against that because I don't like the Lord's name being taken in vain either. But that's not the real meaning of that. Not taking the Lord's name in vain. Israel had married as it were, in Exodus 19, Jehovah. And Jehovah married Israel at the, foot of, uh, at the foot of the mount. And Moses was the officiator. And then when the, the, the Ten Commandments or the moral code came, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What God was saying, when you take my name, live up to my name. That's what it means. Live up to my name. When we take the name of Christ, we are meant to live up to his name For the name speaks of everything that that name stands for. You know, if you get a sports brand or you go to uh, somewhere to eat and they're no good, they get a bad name or whatever, their their, their clothing is rubbish. And, you know, that means that that's their name. That's their reputation. Well, the reputation of Almighty God, he said, when you take my name, live up to my name. And, of course, Israel failed at his name. We failed at his name. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the same. His fame, his glory, it's his doing, it's his dying. How precious he is, the power of the name of Christ, is live up to my name when you take the name of the Lord. That's our witness and our testimony. And hence they're saying, let us make us a name. Let us show our reputation. And so the Lord sees this. And then in verses 5, if you look at it, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. Notice, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them. Now notice the language of this. The Lord said, The people is one. They're of one language. And pointing to their one world government, their, their embryonic new world order, he says, and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them. In other words, there's no depths they won't sink to. 
There's no distance they won't go away from me from. And this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them. You see how even in this embryonic form all these years ago is still alive in the earth today. How it's still and it's global now. And it's bigger. And it's worse. And so this they will begin to do and nothing will be restrained from them which they imagined to do, the Lord says. So the central figure in this is Nimrod. Nimrod. And as I said, Nimrod was off Noah's son Ham, whose line God cursed because he uncovered Ham, uncovered his father's nakedness. That's a study for another time. Will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 10, please? Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, or as we said, Babylon, and Erech, and Achad, and Calne, in the land of Shinar. Take notice here. Notice this. It says in verse 8, he began to be, Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. And then it says, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Even, wherefore it is said, even Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now I need you to try and catch this before we take you to what happened this week. That's why I'm building this up. I'm building a profile. I'm painting a picture for you tonight. Now take note of this. This mighty hunter before the Lord. Nimrod wasn't just a man who would hunt venison or whatever they would hunt. That's not what this really means. Being a mighty hunter in the earth and before the face of the Lord, it means Nimrod was a hunter of men. Nimrod was a hunter and hunter of men. Listen again to the Jerusalem Targum. The Jerusalem Targum. The Jerusalem Targum is a, an orally spoken translation of, of writings. But listen to what it says. Passed down for years. Notice. It says of Nimrod, he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. For he was a hunter of the sons of men. And he said unto them, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of of Nimrod. Depart from the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Now the thing about this is, is we can see even today how we're all told that we're all told that we are to forget about the things of God. Depart from the judgments of the Lord. Depart away from the things of God and listen to the Babylonian system. Listen and be compliant to everything it tells you. And hence this world system and the things that they're doing, they're telling us to be compliant to them and forget the Lord. Now this is what Adam Clark's commentary says. Adam Clark, by the way, was a Methodist minister, 1800s. Uh, he had a church in Portrush. In fact, if you go to Portrush, you come down that wee street. If you're coming towards Barry's in the road, divides, there's a church in the middle. That was his church there. And he had another one on Port Stewart. Notice, he wrote, writes a commentary, and it's a, it's a word-note-wide commentary, well-known. Listen to what Adam Clark says. Hence it is likely that Nimrod, having acquired power, used it in tyranny and oppression, by rapine and, and violence, founded in the dominion, which was the first distinguished by the name of a kingdom of the, on the face of the earth. How many kingdoms have been founded in the same way? In various ages and in nations from that time to the present, from the Nimrod of the earth, God deliver the world. That's where I got my title from. From the Nimrod of the earth, God deliver the world. Even in Adam Clark's day in the 1800s, he was aware that this was alive and well in the earth. By the way, he said, 
Hence, it is likely that Nimrod, having acquired power, used it in tyranny and oppression by rapine and violence founded in a dominion. Notice the word. Some people call it rapine or rapine. Maybe the English teachers could let me know whenever what way it is pronounced. I tried to look it up in the dictionary and then I listened to people online. I got different sort of variations of it, so I've just mentioned the two of them that I've found. And the thing about it is, even Adam Clark seen this with Nimrod in his day and in Adam Clark's day, and the word really means the seizure of property by force. To seize someone's property by force. Isn't that what they're doing today? They're seizing property. They're seizing farmlands. They're seizing property. They're seizing businesses. They're seizing property by force. Nimrod means rebel or to be rebellious. Babel means confusion. And hence this rebellious and confusing system set in on the earth. In Genesis 11, in verse 8 and 9, God scatters the people. It says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of his called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Now here's the thing you have to take note of, brothers and sisters. God scattered them, but they still had the same mindset. They still spoke with the same lip. They had not just the same, their languages, they didn't understand one another. They spoke with the same mindset out of the same mouth, only they were all now scattered all over. They started building their own system, and now they're gathering together. Listen to what Psalm 2 says. Psalm 2, verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves together. The rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, verse 3, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And all the kings, they gather, all the leaders of all of that system have laughed at the Lord down throughout the years. They have been against God's people. And it went right through against Israel for years. Israel and Judah separated until scattered. And then it went through at the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the day of Pentecost. And it went the whole way through. And the, 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 the religious system came from pagan Rome to papal Rome. And they martyred millions of Christians. And hence we see this Babylonian system martyring throughout the years. And then we had the Bilderbergers and we had the Rothschilds come. And there are those who are, uh, uh, as Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 say, those who say they are Jews or, Ju- or Judaites. And they say they are Jews and are not Jews, but are the synagogue of Satan running the banking fraternities and the, the banking families and cartels. And then we have the leaders of the latest of the world with the political system having them like puppets on the string. The Lord sits in heaven, it says. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. See that word derision, by the way, before we go any further. It's a word, lag, lag. Do you know what it gives the idea of? It gives the idea of making fun, like children playing and laughing and making fun of another. It gives the idea of uh, imitating. I thought this was strange, especially nowadays, because with the whole political correct thing, you're not allowed to laugh about anything or say anything about anybody, or you're arrested and you're this, that, or the other. It gives the idea of imitating a foreigner. The Lord is laughing in a sense where he is laughing at them, you fools, and imita- as if he's imitating them. You think that you have this under control. 
And you are gathering together in all your elitist groups. And you are doing all of this with all of the people, trying to bring them into bondage and slavery. He says, but I am the Lord in the heavens, and I'm laughing at you. You know what he's saying? I am still on the throne. I am still on the throne. For example, in Psalm 22 and verse 7, Psalm 22 is known as the psalm of the cross, the prophetic word of the cross of Christ. In Psalm 22, verse 7, it says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. Notice, they laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. And this is prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And what did they do when they crucified him? What happened when they walked by him or stood around him and looked at him on the cross? They mocked him. They laughed at him. And the idea, it's the same word. God says, you're doing this to my son. My son died on the cross and you're laughing about it. My son died on the cross and you're making a mockery of it. You're still scorning him. And as they done it then, God says, people still do it now. And it's like you're imitating a foreigner. It's the exact same word. And God is saying, you're doing this to my beloved son. To all those who reject Christ, all those in our world who are mocking Christ, mocking his word, mocking the gospel, mocking the cross, mocking the blood, mocking the resurrection and the ascension, mocking his second coming again, the Father says, yeah, you laugh. You make fun. You get on like a child with another child making fun of a third. And you can do that Mock him as if he's some foreign entity. He says, but I'm still sitting in the heavens. There's coming a day when I will be mocking you. I will mock you. How the father sees the rejection and the mocking of his son. Notice Nimrod said, go to, let us make brick. And the people of his day, in 11 and 3, 11 and 4, go to, let us build us a city. In 11 and 7, let us go down. And, pardon me, and God said in 11 and 7, let us go down and there confound their language. Do you know, and I've, I've preached on the European Union for 20 years or more. And I've been laughed at, I've been mocked at from preachers from Christians I've even been kicked out from certain places I've been told I'm mad and I'm nuts and I'm all these things and on the main poster of the European Union it has a depiction of uh, an artist's depiction of the Tower of Babel and there with inverted stars with the and the five-pointed stars in the head, as it were, of Bapomet. They're around with the stars. And in the corner it says these words. Their motto is, many tongues, one voice. Many tongues, one voice. When I hear of people today still wanting to be part of the European Union, I, I scream inside. I squeal inside. I near burst. Notice this. In the WEF, the World Economic Forum, run by Klaus Schwab, this is their motto. You ready? Entrepreneurship in the global public interest. Entrepreneurship in the global public interest. wonder what that means. It's certainly not for your good and for mine. And so in the words of Adam Clark, from the nimrod of the earth, God, deliver the word. And so the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now we get down to what happened this week. Building the case for you. Letting you see the spirit that's at work today. This week, well, I'm sure some of you have heard of the COP27. 
You know the whole environmental big conference they had there in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt? Well, while they were having that, there's also those who went up to Mount Sinai and it was a one-world religion, an ecumenical system that we've spoken of. There they've got together. I'm going to look at it a little more in a minute, but there they got together and they planned to have some said the new Ten Commandments. Remember Moses got the Ten Commandments from the Lord that we spoke of in a moment ago? A new, or a new Ten Proposals headed by the papacy. So they had the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt of all places this week. And in Bali... They had the G20 summit at the same time. People were getting them mixed up, thinking it's the same thing. They try and see, they try and maneuver you. They try and put these things together that we think are maybe well, it's one thing happening, but it wasn't. It was an entirely separate event this same week in Ballet. Do you know what Ballet's nickname is? The Land of the Gods. The Land of the Gods. Notice here. Ballet Summit G20 in Indonesia was on the 15th and the 16th of November, just a few days back. Here's the G20 and others who were at this conference already, their leaders and their teams. I'm just going to mention the countries. I'm not going to mention all their names. It takes too long. Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, France, Russia, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, South Korea, Turkey, United Kingdom, and United States. And for some reason, Ursula von der Leyen from the European Union was there. What's she got to do with it? She's not she's in a totally different conglomerate, surely. She was there, and the president of the European Council was there with nine other invited guests. International guest, you ready? Was the FIFA president. World Cup starts tonight, doesn't it? Is it tonight? The World Cup starts tonight. Maybe that's where some people are. (laughs) On the Lord's Day. Anyway. It means little whenever you have... Well, it doesn't matter. You have leadership doing other things, things in the Lord's Day as well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. FIFA were there. You ready? The IMF, the International Monetary Fund Managing Director, was there. The International Olympic Committee went as well. The G20. And the United Nations Secretary General was there. One speaker mentioned, pardon me, not mentioned, but who was there and who also had a speech and, and got up with gusto to give a speech was there. Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab. And that's Klaus Schwab of the, the, the books, The Great Reset, who's looking to promote The Great Reset of all this stuff is happening. And they bring it out of a, 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 the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Uh, is another book that he had written. And this all comes out, all of this comes out of what we've been saying today. This comes from that same one lip and one language, one mouth, one mindset. Take note of this. Listen to what Klaus Schwab said. I I, I was on these things for hours, scarring through them. And and this is from, this is actually from uh, one of their websites. You ready? Listen to this. Chairman of the WEF, Klaus Schwab. If we look at all the challenges, we can speak about multi-crises, economic, political, social, ecological, and institutional crises. But actually what we have to confront is a deep, systematic, and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time, and the world will look differently after we have gone through their process. That's what he said. Who heard that on the news? Anybody? You wouldn't get that in your mainstream media. Sure you won't. That's what he said this week. 
In the news this week, there was a, if you want, a, can I call it a false flag? Sadly, two people died, so I don't like to say that. But they, we've seen uh, a Russian rocket fired into Poland, and the whole talk of a, of a nuclear war was going to start in, at the Ukrainian border, Polish border, and that would just engulf the whole world. And You've seen it in all the news media. Who's seen all that in the news media? I'm sure everybody in here heard about that. Right across, everybody's heard about it. Oh, this could have been Armageddon and all this sort of talk was. You know why? It brought all the minds, it brought all the thinking away from the G20. They have also passed that there will be, in the case of another pandemic, another pandemic. Well, here's the thing. How would they know what to do if there's another pandemic? They've said they're going to make a vaccine passport for another pandemic. How would they know there'd be another pandemic unless they're preparing one? They've passed this. They have passed it with all of these countries. And so there's a Russian rocket. A Russian rocket explodes over the border of Ukraine into Poland. And the whole world is ready for an Armageddon, a nuclear war. And it brings all the minds and all the thinking away over to here. Oh, look what might be happening. And all this is going on at the same time around the corner here. And we're missing it. Everybody's missing it. Now, here's the thing. Russia didn't fire that rocket. They're trying to find out who did. I can give you my 10 cents worth. How would you get NATO to finally take the step into Ukraine against Russia? I know, we have some Russian rockets. Let's fire one into Poland. Because it's a United Nations country. To bring them in. You might say, surely a war wouldn't start over something so simple as that. Really? First World War? The First World War, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophia were in Sarajevo in Serbia. Uh, 20, 28th of June 1914 and as they're going through there were men there from Serb well some of them were from Serbia and other places but mainly Serbs and a young man ran out and shot the two of them dead now the thing was Germany he was off the Austro-Hungarian Empire Germany had promised to back up the Austro-Hungarian Empire Germany came in against Serbia Russia, France and the United Kingdom had said that they would stand up for the Serbs. And hence Russia, France, the United Kingdom came to stand against the Serbs. That meant they met Germany, Austria and Hungary in war. And the First World War started over somebody shooting. The First World War started over that shooting. Some of the, the main... Elitists have said that they need a big event to cause a chaos in order that they may bring order back out of it it again. Chaos and then order. And hence their motto is, out of chaos, order. If there was a war, it would be like the flood, Nimrod with a great reset, setting his kingdom of Babylon. Of course, if there's a war, this would be to set the great reset. A pandemic, great reset. After COVID, it's always been about the great reset, the great reset, the great reset. That's all you're hearing. The great reset. I want to watch time here because time is flying. In Daniel chapter 2, will you go to it with me, please? Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2, please. Notice this. This is the king of Babylon. This is in Babylon. Judah are in Babylon. Israel are gone. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel finds his dream. What it is comes and tells him the dream on the interpretation. 
Verse 31, thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. His image, was, his brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and from the form thereof was terrible. The image of his head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, of iron, and his feet part of iron, part of clay. Here's the four kingdoms. Babylon, head of gold. Medo-Persia, arms of silver, the Medes and the Persians. Alexander the Great comes after that. That's the bronze kingdom. The pagan Roman Empire comes. That's the iron legs and the feet of clay and iron stretches right out into the region of where the European Union would come out of Rome. Notice this. Verse 34. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands which smote the image upon his feet which were of iron clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Notice the stone becomes a mountain then fills the earth. The stone becomes a mountain fills the earth. The stone cut out without hands was Abraham, the Abrahamic kingdom. Abraham, remember the Shem, the line of God, the, the reputation of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but now they're in captivity. He's saying, yeah, but the kingdom that is continuing on will come, and it's the person of Christ that comes to fill the whole earth. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, it says, if you let your eye run down, please, in verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom which shall not be left to another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. For as much as I saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Daniel's saying there's coming a kingdom, and no one will take it from us. Daniel is saying that the kingdom will fill the whole earth. Now, in Daniel 7, you see Daniel sees the Son of Man going to the Ancient of Days to receive a kingdom. We haven't time to read it, but it's to receive the kingdom. And I'll maybe do these chapters for you and do a PowerPoint presentation that, uh, some, that just takes a while to get it all together and show you them and teach them sometime. But notice this. In the and the interfaith website, this is, it. this is what it says. And this is their website, their personal website, Interfaith Center's website. Okay? Now, this is taken from their website. This isn't me or a book or someone sent it to me or, or it was a wee picture someone sent. This is their own website, Interfaith Center's website, under the heading, you ready? The Eco Preacher. So, say I'm, I'm an eco preacher, just saying I'm not like I said, was I still eat meat? In fact, I had a big roast beef dinner of the day. And I drove up in my diesel car. And I was sitting with my feet at my coal and wood fire. And I'm going to continue to do it. Notice this. This is under their heading in their website, The Eco Preacher. And I'm going to quote. In an effort to encourage clergy to preach on Christian ecology. I want you to see this because this, uh, this Interfaith Center's website, this is promoting a book written by two Jews. It's actually the Eco-Bible, they call it. It's the Bible. It's the books of Moses, and they call it now the Eco-Bible. And they're wanting the preachers like me and others to go by this Bible to preach this. In an effort to encourage clergy to preach on Christian ecology, Notice, at least once a month. In other words, they want me to give my, my pulpit once a month the preaching about the planet and the plants and the flowers and the grass and all of that sort of stuff. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? By the way, this is actually going out now. This has happened in churches. At least once a month, notice Jewish ecological commentary on the Hebrew scriptures, eco-exegesis. Now, exegesis means 
that which the scripture says. Eisegesis is when you read into the scriptures to see what you want it to say. Exegesis is when you read the scripture and it speaks to you to tell you what it's saying. And they're saying this will tell you, preacher, what to preach. Eco exegesis, notice for interpreting a Hebrew text from the revised common lectionary for that Sunday. In other words, a set pattern of talks, a set pattern of ecclesiastical teaching. In other words, it's like you go in and have a prayer book in every church in the area, or like the watchtower that the Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach the same thing on that day. This is what they're promoting. A revised common lectionary for that Sunday is followed, notice, by one eco-idea. If you preach from this, you're allowed to preach about this part of the Bible that we are telling you about, the exegesis of it, but we want you to have an eco-idea to bring to the people with it. By one eco-idea for the basis of the sermon, and two eco-questions to go deeper, and three eco-actions to choose from to help a congregation. Notice, to help a congregation put their faith into action. I want you to get the depths of this. Because this is happening in churches now. It's happening now. This book or this eco-Bible, they'll tell you the Hebrew meanings of certain things and what they say it is, these Jews will tell you. And then when they tell you that, you have to get one eco idea. You have to get a couple of eco questions then given to you. And you have to have three eco actions. And it's to help the people in their faith. Let me tell you what builds up my faith. The preaching of the word. The preaching of the word of God builds up faith. It's the preaching of the word. Listen, you come here and I start talking about the trees and the plants and the animals and all that sort of thing. The only animal I know is the lamb that was slain. The blood of the lamb. Now don't get me wrong, I believe in looking after our planet. I believe in looking after your area. I believe in being clean and you know, not trying to poison things. I, I, that's fine. But now it's telling us how to preach. Now it's showing us what to preach. And it's telling you how your faith will be built up by eco ideas. Brothers and sisters, do you see the depth of this? You know what this is doing? This is taking Christ out of the scriptures. Where's the blood? Where's the blood of the Lamb? Next thing will be telling us you you can't preach the blood of the Lamb because that's the slaying of another animal. is happening I feel like I'm shouting from the rooftops at times week after week but it's happening and it's all from Babylon it's all the Nimrod from the Nimrod of the earth God deliver the world from the Nimrod of the earth God deliver Ulster they call it in their website inspirational and ecumenical Will you give me another five or ten months? And we'll close this up. Is that all right? Go to me to Romans, please. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. I know we're long here. Romans 1. Verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. I wonder how many men know the truth of the scriptures or are not afraid to preach it. They're holding the truth and unrighteousness. Notice, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Notice, for the invisible things of him. Now take note of this. From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, 
neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and foolishness, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Notice, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God to a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. They're starting to worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural roots into that which is against nature. In other words, we're talking about the homosexual agenda there too. Take note of this. This is what I've, I thought about this. This is what I've, what, what I'm, what I've wrote. Creation's ruin. You ready? Creation's ruin is due to Adam's ruin. Creation's ruin is due to sin. Creation's ruin is a type of man's ruin. Creation's ruin can't be reversed, only renewed. Men are more concerned about saving the planet than saving a life and a soul. There's more protection for certain species of animals and birds' eggs than there is for the preborn in its mother's womb. They're worshipping the creature more than the creator. Some people are more concerned with saving trees than saving souls. Who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And we're running this to a close. Chapter 8, please, of Romans. Chapter 8 of Romans. Just a few verses. Verse 18. Paul, Paul writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth. Would you say that? For we know that the whole... Let's read this verse together. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Will you read it one more time? For we know... Read it loud. Okay, so the creation is groaning. And it's like a woman travailing, it says. It's travailing like a woman until now. Like a woman going to give birth. And so I wrote this, reducing our CO2 emissions and cutting down our carbon footprint may help, but it will not save nor change our planet. The Word of God says in Romans 8 and 22, creation is not undergoing death pangs. Creation is undergoing birth pangs. You know why? Because you see when these signs begin to happen, then lift up your head and look up for your redemption's drawn nigh. The birthing is that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and the true one who will change this world and change your vile body and my vile body to be like unto his own glorious body, ushering in the stone kingdom in its fullness. He's coming and the earth knows it and it's ready to be birthed into a new creation. That's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the soul. That's the hope of the man. That's the hope of the woman. It's not the cutting down of our carbon, but the coming of Christ. What John says in Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, 
And the apostles went forth. And what the Don says, and they preached Christ unto them. They preached Jesus unto them. Preached Christ. My brothers and sisters, I've been trying to keep everybody as far as I can up to speed and up to date with all that's going on. Trying to warn people. And I know people are going to think I'm a lunatic. They're going to think I'm mad. They're going to think I'm crazy. I don't know what it's like online by now. Sometimes they put up laughing faces at me and they put up angry faces at me. uh, And they would write certain things about me. And that's all right. But you were warned. They were told. The king is coming. All of these things are pointing to the coming of Christ. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you washed in the blood? Team, would you come up, please?